about old Ben Malloy leading worship this morning? This is Ben's first time. If you're if you're new here, this is Ben's first time leading worship. So, um, thank you, Ben. We're uh, short-staffed this week, and uh, Ben Ben kind of is coordinates our services, and so he had to step into that role. And then, of course, Mr. Danforth has done gallivanting around the world. He, he could he could help us on the gym bay. So thank you, brothers. I appreciate that. Um, good morning. My brother Lee Parker preached to you. Y'all like Lee? I know a lot of y'all is the first time hearing Lee. I've actually never heard Lee, but I get a sense that I like Lee preaching. Um, passionate, informative, uh, instructive. My brother Lee delivered the word from the Lord last week from Romans chapter 15. In that text, Paul explained that Jesus came as a servant to demonstrate God's truthfulness to the Jews, to demonstrate God's mercy to the Gentiles, and ultimately, of course, we know that both of these things are for His glory. And then Paul quotes four Old Testament texts that Lee went over in order to prove that salvation coming to the Gentiles wasn't some, some new idea that Paul invented. It was prophesied by Moses, it was prophesied by David, it was prophesied by Isaiah. Paul wanted to go into the prophets, he wanted to go into the Psalms, he wanted to go into the Torah, all to prove that God planned from the very beginning for Jesus to save souls from every tribe, tribe tongue, and nation. So, the gospel coming to the Gentiles, in other words, wasn't plan B, it was plan A. This morning as Gentiles, we read these scriptures and we are Gentiles. We believe that God is both truthful and that He is merciful and we glorify Him this morning. So as we come to the end of chapter 15, we're almost done with Romans, y'all. I know y'all have been in it for a while. Paul is beginning to wind down his letter. After explaining the fact that salvation to the Gentiles is prophesied in the Old Testament, Paul now speaks about himself. He's starting to speak about himself. And he says that he now, he is fulfilling the prophecy of Isaiah. What we're going to read this morning, what we're getting ready to look at, is Paul describing his ministry to the Gentiles. So if you want to stand for the reading of God's Word, we're going to read out of Romans chapter 15, verses 14 through 33. Do you have that on the screen for us? I'm going to go ahead. There it is. Alright. And the Holy Spirit says this, I myself am satisfied with you, brothers, that you yourselves are full of goodness, filled with all knowledge and able to instruct one another. But on some points I have written to you very boldly by way of reminder because of the grace given me by God to be a minister of Christ Jesus to the Gentiles in the priestly service of the gospel of God so that the offering of the Gentiles may be acceptable, sanctified by the Holy Spirit. In Christ Jesus, then, I have reason to be proud of my work for God, for I will not venture to speak of anything except what Christ has accomplished through me to bring the Gentiles to obedience by word and deed by the power of signs and wonders, by the power of the Spirit of God, so that from Jerusalem and all the way around to Illyricum, I have fulfilled the ministry of the gospel of Christ. And thus I make it my ambition to preach the gospel, not where Christ has already been named, lest I build on someone else's foundation. 
But as is it, as it is written, those who have never been told of him will see, and those who have never heard will understand. This is the reason why I've so often been hindered from coming to you. But now, since I no longer have any room for work in these regions, and since I have longed for many years to come to you, I hope to see you in passing as I go to Spain, and to be helped on my journey there by you, once I have enjoyed your company for a while. At present, however, I am going to Jerusalem bringing aid to the saints." For Macedonia and Achaia have been, have been pleased to make some contribution for the poor among the saints at Jerusalem. For they were pleased to do it, and indeed they owe it to them. For if the Gentiles have come to share in their spiritual blessings, they ought also to be of service to them in material blessings. When therefore I have completed this and have delivered to them what has been collected, I will leave for Spain by way of you. I know that when I come to you, I will come in the fullness and blessing of Christ." I appeal to you, brothers, by our Lord Jesus Christ and by the love of the Spirit, to strive together with me in your prayers to God on my behalf, that I may be delivered from the unbelievers in Judea, and that my service for Jerusalem may be acceptable to the saints, so that by God's will I may come to you with joy and be refreshed in your company. May the God of peace be with you all. Amen. Let's pray. Father, Let us look this morning at the ministry and the life and the heart of the Apostle Paul, whom you called according to your purpose. And through Paul, teach us what it means to worship. Teach us what it means to be acceptable in your sight. Teach us what it means this morning to be saints, not because of anything we've done, but by the, being set apart by the Holy Spirit that we know comes to us through faith in the gospel. And all these things we ask in your son's name, amen. So this passage breaks down into two parts. Verses 14 through 21, Paul is describing the nature of his ministry to the Gentiles. And verses 22 through 33, Paul is describing the direction of his ministry to the Gentiles. We're going to spend the bulk of our time this morning in verses 14 through 21. Paul describes his ministry to the Gentiles in three primary ways. And I'm, these are going to be my three points this morning. Paul is priestly, Paul is proud, Paul is preaching. Paul is priestly, Paul is proud, and Paul is preaching. I didn't, I, the alliteration was. Good. I didn't force that. Okay, I might have a little bit. If I had to call this sermon, and if I had to give it a title, it would be Paul the Proud Priestly Preacher. And I'm gonna, you're going to see that it, I wasn't forcing this. They, all these P's are in the text. Verses 14 through 16. Paul is priestly. Number one, verses 14 through 16. I myself am satisfied about you, brothers, that you yourselves are full of goodness, filled with all knowledge and able to instruct one another. But on some points I have written to you very boldly by way of reminder, because of the grace given me by God, to be a minister of Christ Jesus to the Gentiles in the priestly service of the gospel of God, so that the offering of the Gentiles may be acceptable, sanctified by the Holy Spirit. In the Bible, one of the best ways to distinguish, if, if you had to... If I had to explain the difference between a prophet and a priest, I'd say that the prophet goes before the people on behalf of God, and the priest goes before God on behalf of the people. 
is a way you can kind of remember it. Jesus performs both of those roles. Jesus is prophet because He declares the oracles of God to His people. He is the truth. Jesus Christ is priest because He serves as the mediator on our behalf between us and the Father, interceding for us. But here in this text, Paul isn't talking about Christ's priesthood. He's talking about His own priesthood. Paul calls his ministry to the Gentiles, quote-unquote, the priestly service of the gospel of God. What in the world does that mean? Why is Paul using this kind of cultic, ritualistic language? Well, we know two things about this priestly service. The Gentiles are his offering to God. And this offering is made acceptable because it's sanctified by the Holy Spirit. In other words, as a priest charged with the service to God, Paul is bringing the Gentiles as an offering to God. And this offering of his is suitable to God because it's set apart by God. As those who are now found in Christ, the Gentiles are pleasing to God. We today are pleasing to God because we've been set apart by the Holy Spirit. Now remember in Romans chapter 12, verse 1, Paul says, I appeal to you therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. When, God, when Paul talks about sacrifices at the end of Romans, our offerings being acceptable to God, when he uses that language, he's not talking here about satisfying the wrath of God, because of course, Jesus satisfied the wrath of God. Paul's talking about giving a gift of praise. He's talking about giving a sacrifice of praise to honor God with a holy people set apart by the gospel. So we can remember this this morning. The only gifts God wants from you are those that have been sanctified by the Holy Spirit. When we worship Him, we worship in spirit and in truth. When we sing to Him, Paul says in Ephesians 5.19, we sing spiritual songs. When we gather in His name, when we come to church, the Holy Spirit is our bond of fellowship. It makes what we give Him in a pleasing aroma unto the Lord. When we read the Bible, it's the Holy Spirit who opens your eyes and enlightens our understanding so that we can see His truth. Galatians chapter 5, verse 16-18 through 18 says, But I say, walk by the Spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. In other words, there is nothing you can do on your own that is acceptable to God. Your flesh has ruined every single deed you could offer Him. You can't pray a pleasing prayer. You can't donate a pleasing gift. You can't tithe a a pleasing tithe. You can't give a pleasing compliment. It It is not sanctified by the Holy Spirit. It is not worship, and God does not want it. That's why in verse 16, Paul says that he is, quote-unquote, a minister of Christ Jesus to the Gentiles in the priestly service of the gospel of God so that the offering of the Gentiles may be acceptable and sanctified by the Holy Spirit. So to be acceptable is to be sanctified. We get the word, this is, this is one of the things that I have against the Catholic Church. They've kind of hijacked the word saint. So now today when we hear that word, we go, oh, that's somebody that uh, did a bunch of good stuff. Mm. Oh, that's the person that did that miracle. No. If we look at the Bible, the word sanctify comes from the Latin word sanctus, which means holy. It's where we get the word saint. 
Contrary to what Catholics believe, the word saint is not someone who did a bunch of good stuff and did miracles. The word is for someone who is indwelled by the Holy Spirit, made acceptable by God, and set apart by God. A saint is a believer. Therefore, the word to sanctify is to make holy. That is so dangerous when we treat the word saint as if someone who did a bunch of extra stuff to get stuff. If you're a saint, you're in Christ. Paul is offering every Gentile convert as an offering, as a gift to God. Each soul born again by the Holy Spirit and set apart. Think about this for a moment. This is kind of, this, this really, when I read this, I just, I love it. Not even the death of the Son of God on the cross was acceptable to God without being sanctified by the Holy Spirit. Hebrews 9, 14. How much more will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal Spirit, offered Himself without blemish to God? That means, thank God, by the blood of the Lamb and the sanctity of the Holy Spirit, I am acceptable to God. Be careful. I think a lot of people, I hear this sometimes, God loves you just how you are. No. Come as you are. Don't stay as you are. Believe in Jesus and be made holy. That's the, that's the message of the gospel. Come as you are and let Jesus change you. Because if you stay as you are, you will be zapped by the radiant holiness of our God. What's Hebrews says? It says our God is a consuming We are utterly unacceptable to God. We are not invited to His throne room. We are incapable of bearing the heat of His holiness unless we are made holy. Ephesians chapter 6, verse 16 says, He dwells in unapproachable light. Which would lead me to the obvious question, well, how do we approach Him then? Well, the answer is in verse 16, that the offering of the Gentiles may be acceptable, sanctified by the Holy Spirit. God has called Haynes Creek to save sinners. So that as priests, we can offer Oxford, anybody who comes in and gets saved, we can go, here you go, Father. You predestined them, you called them, you saved them, you cleansed them, you sanctified them, here they are. That's what we're doing. Every time someone is saved in our church, we're offering them to the Lord and saying, let this be a pleasing aroma unto you, Lord. When I was 11 years old, that's exactly what my youth minister did with me. He said, here you go. Here's little Abby Tyler. He doesn't know a thing about the world. He still picks his nose. All he knows is the gospel. But he is sanctified. He believes in your son Jesus. He is washed in the blood. And he is pleasing and acceptable in your sight, O oh Lord. My son Roman will pick up toys that he's been gnawing and chewing on for hours, and then he'll go, he wants to give them to me. It's nasty. I mean, some of them are just like, Kelly the other day said she walked in and they were like chewing on a beetle. I've kissed those lips. <laughs> and he just, he'd been gnawing on them, and they're, st and they're sticky too. I don't, that's the real, it's fine if it's sticky, but I just don't know... Why it's sticky. <laughs> but he, he, just, he just has this face like, like he's just giving me a bar of gold. 
That's more or less what it's like when people try to please God in this life without faith in Jesus. Your gifts, your money, your time, your offerings, your good deeds, your good manners, they're covered in sin and they're covered in filth and they're not pleasing to God. It doesn't matter how much it's worth in your eyes. That little nugget, sticky, chewed on, gnawed thing is worth a lot to Roman. That is nasty to me. It doesn't matter how much it's worth in your eyes. The gifts don't make it acceptable to God. God makes it acceptable to God. Jesus makes it acceptable. The Spirit makes us acceptable. That's why a million dollars given to the church in the name of pride and ego and legalism don't carry a candle to an ounce of worship given by a child in faith. It's acceptable. My worship at 11 years old was acceptable to God. Ben was texting me Friday night um, we didn't know that Ben was leading worship until Friday night. Daniel just forgot that he was going to be out of town. Mike couldn't do it. Called some other people. They couldn't do it. Sophia, I don't know if you heard. She's a mom. <laughs> By the way, Sophia, we are like really missing you right now. And Ben's like, how many times have you played? How many times have you led? Second time. Oh, that's like only two more than me. <laughs> and I'm going to tell y'all, Ben did that in faith. Therefore, it was a joyful noise unto the Lord. And I'm guaranteeing you, since it was done in faith, it was consecrated, it was sanctified, and it was acceptable to our God. And I'm going to tell you, just a personal note, I could hear us singing. I like that. You know, I, I, I'm, not, I'm not against the team singing, but sometimes I like it where we just hear ourselves singing unto the Lord. That's what we want for pain. That's what we want for Oxford. We want this entire community. We want our goal to be to hand God a redeemed Oxford and say, "It's from you, through you, and to you." Here it is. Number two, Paul is proud. Verses seventeen through nineteen. In Christ Jesus, then, I have reason to be proud of my work for God. For I will not venture to speak of anything except what Christ has accomplished through me to bring the Gentiles to obedience by word and deed, by the power of signs and wonders, by the power of the Spirit of God, so that from Jerusalem and all the way around to Illyricum, I have fulfilled the ministry of the gospel of Christ. If it's God who makes something acceptable to Himself, what ground have we to boast for anything other than what he's done? Paul is proud of his work for God, done through God. You know what that tells me? It tells me it's possible to take pride in the work you do for the kingdom. It's just nothing like earthly pride. How many of you have ever led someone to the Lord? Okay. How many have you have ever discipled someone or done a Bible study with someone? How many of you have ever been on a mission trip where you served someone else? How many of you have ever talked about the gospel with someone else? How many of you have ever seen the kingdom of God right at work before your very own eyes? Be proud of that. But 
don't think for a second it was you pulling the strings. He says, for I will not venture to speak of anything, anything, except what Christ has accomplished through me to bring the Gentiles to obedience by word and deed. I know a guy who once told me, he said, yeah, it was God working through me. He allowed it and I did it. Yeah, I I think God did more than allow it to happen. If God just kind of spun the earth around and said, let's just do your thing, nobody's going to get anything done. God didn't just allow you to come to faith. God did simply allow you to come to church this morning. God didn't just simply allow you to pray your prayers and offer your praises. God oversaw it. God orchestrated it. God accomplished it through you, is what Paul says. We dare not speak of anything in this life we do if we can't finish it with the statement, it was the Lord. In Philippians chapter 2, verses 12 through 13, we were going over this in small group a couple weeks ago, and I thought to myself, well, those are two like, contradictory statements. Verse 12 says this, I know you all heard it, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Work it out. That's an imperative. That's you do it. You work it out. You're the responsible one. It's you and your walk. Then in 13 he says, For it is God who works in you, both to will and to work for His good pleasure. Well, who is it? Is it you or is it God? Yes. Every single step, every single action, every single thought, every single second, you are to take with a sense of urgency and serve your God. But God is at work in you, especially in our church. What's interesting is that in verse 19, the Holy Spirit comes up again. Verse 19, by the power of signs and wonders, by the power of the Spirit of God. That means every time someone comes to faith in Christ, every time God accomplishes something for the glory, for His glory through believers, it is the Holy Spirit who initiates it, blesses it, and sanctifies it. Paul's proud. Paul is proud of his work for God because he's proud of the fact that God has chosen him and appointed him for such a task. I don't know if y'all noticed, but we meet in trailers. Do you know that? Modulars. Sorry, Bob. Modulars. Even though this land is gorgeous, this here is kind of humble. I remember going, I think I've told you this before, I go back to Kentucky, they're like, hey, I heard you got a new church. What's the church like? I'm like, well, it's, you know, some trailers out in, in the woods. I'm like, why'd you go there but you know what I don't care when people roll into Haynes Creek I pray they see proud people we're proud we're proud of our God we're proud of what he's doing here we're not taking pride in our building we're not taking pride in our really good bathrooms we're taking pride in the work he does and accomplishes through us, we're proud that He chose us to do this work. I pray Haynes Creek people can see us and go, man, those people are loving. But they're, just, they're proud people. They're proud of their God. They're taking ownership. They're owning what He's called us to do. Paul was proud. We should be proud. Number three, Paul is preaching. Verse 20 through 21. 
And thus I make it my ambition to preach the gospel, not where Christ has already been named, lest I build on someone else's foundation. But as it is written, those who have never been told of him will see, and those who have never heard will understand. Paul here is quoting Isaiah chapter 52, verse 15. In that text, Isaiah is also speaking about Gentiles, because in that same verse he says, he will sprinkle many nations. So what Paul's hammering home is this. I want to go where no believer has gone before. He actually intends to go to Spain, as we, as we read, which at that time was the end of the known world. Remember when Jonah wants to run away? I just saw you, Laura. I didn't see you come in. She's been away. You know when Jonah wants to run away from God, where does he want to go? Tarshish. It's in Spain. That's, you know, somebody, had he known that there was a North America, he would have gone even farther. At that time, Spain is the end of the world. Obviously, most scholars believe that Paul eventually died in Rome, which is where he wrote his second epistle to Timothy. You know, we could read what Paul says about preaching the gospel and making it his ambition to go where no one's gone before, where no one has laid the foundation. We could say things like, man, Paul's just a super Christian. Or we could say things like, thanks to Paul, almost the whole Western world knows about Jesus now. Or we could say things like, thanks to Paul, we don't have to really lay a foundation. I mean, you know, at least he laid the groundwork where people, at least people know about Jesus and heard of him. But here's the truth. Paul was called to the Gentiles, and so are we. Paul was called to a lost world, and so are we. Paul was set apart for a special task, and so are we. The old argument that says, we're in America, so everybody's pretty much heard of the gospel, that argument lost its validity years ago. I dare you to go up to someone in Covington and ask them, what's the gospel? See if they know. And tell me we live in a Christian nation. Yes, men have laid the foundation hundreds of years ago. I mean, in Georgia, for example, you know, I came here and there's like tons of Methodist churches. Well, you can thank the Wesley brothers for that. Coming up, you know, Whitfield, him and them establishing that orphanage over there. There's a, there's a huge evangelical tradition in this state to be proud of. But here's the thing. Our ambition is still to preach the gospel because people are still going to hell and dying in their sins. The only difference is that in Rome, when people died, they died in the shadow of pagan temples, never having heard the gospel. When people die today, they die just miles down the road from a dozen churches and never heard the gospel once. We're called to preach. And if, if preach makes you uncomfortable, or like, I don't, I wasn't called to preach, well, just <laughs> substitute another word. Say, tell, explain, talk, discuss. The church, you've heard me say this time and time again, we are an we are an embassy for the kingdom of God. Isaiah says, those who have never been told will see, and those who have never heard will understand. That's good news. If sinners die without this news, they will meet judgment before a God who disapproves of their sin, and there is no hope. Only the gospel we hold in our hands will make them acceptable. This world is telling us today that everyone's acceptable to God, everyone's acceptable anywhere, whoever you are, however you are, you need to be accepted. That's, that's the world's message today. 
They think no one will judge them. The world thinks that you have to live the way you want and there's no consequences. The world has domesticated God into an image of Himself and they've forgotten that unlike the world, God is and will remain holy. We have Paul's gospel. We have Paul's commission. We have Paul's people. Do we have Paul's heart for the lost? Now, to conclude, please do not end this sermon with the last thing in your head being that the world is lost and profane and thank God I'm not. You missed the point. The truth of the gospel is this. You were lost and profane. You were no better. And by putting your faith in Christ, you were made acceptable to God. Don't forget about the unacceptable. Do you remember the story of Joseph in prison? And it says he met two men, cupbearer and the baker, the Pharaoh. And Joseph did what? He interpreted their dreams. And it says eventually that Pharaoh restored the cupbearer to his position, killed the baker. And then what does it say the cupbearer did when he got out? He said, yet the chief cupbearer did not remember Joseph, but forgot him. Now that you've been sanctified and you've been set free from sin and you've been set apart before the king, have you forgotten the unacceptable? Be a proud, priestly preacher. And I wanted to end with this this morning. Um, about an hour ago, my aunt called me and said that my grandfather passed away this morning. Uh, Granddaddy Abby, he was 92. And... Granddad uh, was just really, really hard person growing up. Um, we shared a name. His real name is Oswald Udale Todd, and he changed it to Abby. Thank goodness. And Granddad was just always really mean. Of course, he'd lived through World War II, the Battle of Peleliu, where it's like one of the worst. Mortality rates. He lived through the Great Depression. He was always just really hard. Never went to church. And certainly never talked about Jesus. He actually, at one point, I think I was telling Margaret, he actually tried to convince me not to go to seminary and go to dental school. He always wanted me to do his funeral, which I guess I'm going to have to do now. And I never really wanted to talk about it with him for two reasons. One, it was kind of morbid and I didn't want to talk about it. But two, didn't really think Granddad was a believer. And believe me, we preached the gospel to Granddad and he would just laugh it off. And so my aunt called me this morning and gave me the arrangements and the funeral, when it's going to be. And I said, Aunt Linda is, and she says, is, is your Granddad saved? And I said, yeah. And she said, I think so. And I said, why do you think so? And she said, well, a man, a chaplain came by at the hospital two days before he died and, and, and asked if he repented of his sins if he believed in Jesus. And he said, 
Absolutely. And that comforts me for two, way, for two reasons. One, he's my granddad, and I want to know that he's saved. And who will know if I see him in heaven or not. But what I do, the other reason I take some joy in that is because this man lived his entire life really as a bitter person. And I just adored my granddad growing up. And then I got older and I saw that he was just mean. And the joy I take is knowing that a man who has nothing before the Lord, at the twilight of his own death, can call upon a Savior, have nothing to give God, be completely unacceptable to Him, but He can call out in faith to be saved by our Lord. He can be covered in the precious blood of Jesus, and God can make His unacceptable life acceptable. There's no one who deserves less than the kingdom than my grandfather. But he might have been saved. And that should bring us joy. If he can save the thief on the cross, he can save Abby, Oswald, Udale, Todd. And what we should understand is not to look at those people and think, well, at least I got some years on them or I did some more good stuff. If he gets in by grace, we get in by grace too. Not because of the fact that our faith was a work. It's because the faith is reaching out to God and Him saying, you are unacceptable, you are not pleasing, you are abominable, you are profane, you are wretched, but by the obedience of my Son Jesus and the precious blood, His precious blood, purchasing you, you're acceptable now. That's the only kind of worship that means anything. That's the only thing we can offer Him in this life. That's the only aroma that reaches Him and that is sweet, is the kind that's sanctified by the Holy Spirit. And that gives us hope for any of these people that are like Oswald Udell Todd. Because I'm going to tell you, he doesn't have a monopoly on wretchedness. We're all wretched. And there are a thousand others just like that, and, it, and what God is telling us is, it's not you who needs to make them holy. It's not you who needs to set them apart. It's you who needs to take the gospel to them, and then I will cleanse them. Whoever is saved in our ministry, it's accomplished through Him, and it's acceptable to Him. Let's do a priestly service for the gospel of God. Let's pray. Father, like your servant Martin Luther said, we are beggars. In this ministry you called us to, in your church, you have given us a priestly duty. Not to atone, that was done by our great high priest. Not to be perfect, that was done by Christ. But to serve others with the greatest news in the world. And then to offer born-again sinners as a pleasing aroma in your sight.
Father, let us be proud priestly preachers like Paul. Proud of the work you do in us. Priests who offer up acceptable sinners sanctified by the Holy Spirit. Preaching a gospel that we know if it is received, nothing can separate us from the love of God. And all these things we ask in your son's name. Amen.